name of Jesus, amen. It would be easy to focus on the Good Shepherd imagery today. It's a favorite one in scripture and it's a favorite one of, I think, many of us, uh, if for nothing else than for Psalm 23, which I think even unbelievers, non-believers find comfort in and can maybe even recite at least the first line by heart. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. Isn't that the hope and desire of every human being? To know fulfillment, to live mercifully, walking compassionately with one another. Psalm 23 captures that deep yearning and intuition and hope of all peoples. Of course, there's Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is perhaps not quite as negative as Amos, who we heard about last week. Pastor Andy pointed out how Amos is one of those prophets who makes you think that God is always an angry God. Jeremiah does that a little bit too in this reading, though the prophet also shows us another side of God. Then I, God, myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. And then, of course, there is the gospel. Jesus, as he went ashore, saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Here, unlike the many political and cultural leaders people follow today, Jesus doesn't sell an agenda, doesn't create a myth of whiteness or prosperity or race, doesn't tell lies about a virus or vaccines, but actually listens to the deep yearning of the people, listens, heals, and has compassion. But I said I wouldn't linger on those shepherd imagery, so let me move on. Uh, I'd rather take a closer look at the letter to the Ephesians, which speaks of shepherding too, but not from the perspective of the shepherd, but from the perspective of the sheep, if you will. Whoever wrote this letter is writing about a community of believers, those on the way, those who are following Jesus. The writer is writing about all of us. The writer has a vision rooted in that compassionate glance of Jesus. The community of followers is on the way, on a journey, ever deeper into communion with Christ. Reconciliation marks this, is a characteristic of this community. Not division, not walls that separate it from the world, not barriers that welcome some and not others, 
Whether those barriers and walls be called sexism, genderism, skin color, or any other category human beings give sanction to, no, this community called the church or assembly is precisely that. It's a big gathering, a coming together where there is no east and west, no north and south, where there are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are all citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. Now let me pause a moment. That word household has a rather complicated history. A household in the ancient world meant a firmly established ordered structure a very defined hierarchy. Subordination was key to the functioning of this household, whether it was slave to master or woman to their husbands. It's a dangerous subordination. It has caused enormous trauma throughout human history. And this text has been and can be easily read through that lens. But there is something else going on here. Here, Ephesians actually subverts the term household. The order or structure of a typical household is upset. It's turned upside down. Now, two polarities, two different things, become one humanity. They are transformed. There is no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. There is no longer black or white, straight or gay, no longer Lutheran or Catholic or Methodist or Reformed or Anglican or Baptist, and the list goes on and on and on. We are no longer strangers or aliens. For all of you, all of us are one in Christ to paraphrase Paul. Or again, as the writer to the Ephesians puts it, Christ creates in himself one new humanity in place of two, in place of the polarities we want to create, thus making peace, reconciling both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting death to hostility. The polarities we create, whether based on skin color, gender, sexual orientation, religion, class, or wealth, or whatever else, all these divisions are put to death through the cross. They are transformed through one body, a body that has compassion, Jesus. This does not mean those identifying the descriptors are denied or swept under the rug or subordinated to some perfect model. No, we are reconciled with one another, not by conformity to some prototype or some template of the perfect Christian. No, we are reconciled with one another through mercy. We encounter that mercy when we gather, all of us together, as an assembly from different walks in life, 
all of us with different identities and struggles, when we gather around the baptismal font and God washes us and embraces us and heals us. We encounter that mercy when we gather at the table prepared for us by Jesus, where we also receive Jesus in bread and wine. But not only Jesus, we receive one another. As Martin Luther says, Jesus never comes alone, but with the whole community. In mercy, we receive each other at this table where we long again and yearn for that communion. We bear each other's burdens and joys, forming us into one communion. Isn't that the longing of the people as they rush to follow Jesus and bring to him all their needs and their neighbor's needs? The compassion of Jesus awakens in them not only their deep yearning for peace, for fulfillment, but also in turns propels them to live as mercy in the world a mercy that breaks down and transforms all the dividing walls. And now as we journey, we are called as community to sing and embody that song of mercy. Thanks be to God.